Hi, I'm James Schillinglaw, and I'm here with a familiar face, uh, Bill McGee, who's the Senior Fellow for Aviation and Travel at the American Economic Liberties Project. Well, why do we have Bill on uh, this morning? Uh, well, today, uh, allegedly, and we're doing this, granted, a, a day earlier, uh, is the day when the Department of Justice is is going to trial against, to try to prevent the merger of JetBlue and Spirit. So Bill is actually up there to go see the trial in his in his role uh, as senior fellow uh, for the American Economic Liberties Project. This is a huge thing for them and actually a huge thing for aviation in this country. And we wanted to get his take uh, on the uh, on the whole deal and what was going on. It's been a while. I mean, it's been a few months since the, this lawsuit was originally filed. And, uh, you know, everybody's acting like this is going to go through. But we'll have to, we'll talk to Bill about that and what's going to happen. And you're going to find out about that and more on Insider Travel Report. Well, Bill, first of all, good to see you. So you're, you're actually up in your hotel room waiting to go to waiting to go into into trial. I guess we're, it's, we're, we're actually talking on Sunday night, but uh, you're going to be down, in and around there on Monday talking to people. And then uh, Tuesday, hopefully, uh, unless it gets delayed again, this trial is finally going to get started. And it's a trial, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, good to see you, James, as always. Um, I'm in Boston. It has been postponed a few times. The judge had said to postpone it due to another case, but... We're set to uh, to start up on Tuesday, hopefully. Um, and and what, what, exa- what exactly is this trial? Just I, I sort of defined it there, but but tell us what is what is exactly happening here. Sure. So for the first time in a very long time, the Department of Justice is uh, suing two airlines to uh, prevent a merger, and uh, those two airlines, of course, are JetBlue and Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it's being held in the federal courthouse here in Boston. And it's worth noting that this exact same courthouse, this time last year, in October and November of last year, uh, there was also a lawsuit filed by the DOJ. And in that case, it was JetBlue and American. That was right. not a merger. That was the Northeast Alliance. You yeah, I was going to talk to you about that one. We'll talk about that a little later because I'm kind of curious whether is this the same court and the same judge? It's the same court, but a different judge. Okay, that's what I wanted to find out about. Now, why why does the Department of Justice really want to prevent this merger? Who is it saying is being harmed? And and in fact, this is what your organization also is saying being harmed. But who is going to get harmed by this merger? Consumers, uh, entire cities and regions of the country, and labor. And that's sort of the, the list that we always see when there's uh, airline consolidation. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get into the nitty-gritty on the specifics with Spirit and JetBlue, but I think to step back for a moment... We really need to look at this moment in time. We are at a place we have never been in the in the airline industry. I know that sounds like I'm, you know, uh, crying uh, panic and and uh, maybe getting hyperbolic. It's it's just a fact. You go back and you research it, and you see that going back more than 100 years before World War One, when the first tickets were sold in 1914, um, we have never had this level of concentration and so few airlines. Talking right. scheduled passenger airlines. We now have 12. We had 10 up until two years ago, and we added Breeze and Avello. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have 12 airlines in the United States. For comparison's sake, in the mid-1980s, there were more than 80 scheduled passenger airlines yeah, in the United States. Right. Um, when you talk about major carriers, um, we remember not not ancient history, but going back into the late 80s and early 90s, when there were 13, 15 major carriers in the United States. Today, we have the big four, and American, Delta, United, and Southwest control 80% of the market. 
Right, right. Is a level of concentration we have simply never had at no point in the 20th century before the regulated era, during the regulated era or in the deregulated era. Did we have four airlines that all had 20 or 25 percent of market share and, you know, we're an oligopoly. And I also want to point out, I mentioned Breeze and Avello. They started up in 2021. A lot of people don't realize we just went through the longest period in American history without a new entrant carrier. Mm -hmm. We went all the way from 2007 when uh, Virgin America came on the scene. Where's Virgin America now? Oh, that's right. It's not here anymore due to a merger with Alaska, right? We went 14 years from 2007 to 2021 without a single new entrant airline. That's pretty amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. And it is a direct a direct violation of what the Deregulation Act of 1978 promised to do, which was to open up the you know the gates to um, to uh, new entrants and more competition, and we have less competition. And so, before we you know we talk about Spirit and JetBlue, which I'm happy to do, I think it's important to point out that the context of where we are now, we we are at a time now where. A lot of people are complaining about the airline industry, and I would argue that um, consolidation is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. People don't always connect those dots, but for us, we have. The awful service that we've seen in, in recent years, the, the 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 withholding of of refunds, the the cancel flights, the the uh, you know the, the the lack of reliability, the lack of civility, all of it. A lot of it has to do with, in my view, the fact that we have. So little competition, and some places in the country are much, much worse than others. Right now, uh, JetBlue has been kind of acting like this is a done deal. Uh, it's been making payments to Spirit shareholders as per, I guess, the contract of the merger because it is the acquirer. Uh, and and what happens if if the deal doesn't go through? First of all, and why is it why is it doing things like that? Why is it acting? Spirit not so much, but um, uh, JetBlue definitely has been acting like this is a done deal and forget about this this court case. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, let's be clear. JetBlue is the aggressor here, right? They're the, they're the one that courted uh, Spirit, not the other way around. Right. And, um, you know, you, you raise a good point because I see comments like that a lot too, where it's like, well, when our merger goes through, and I'm always reading it and saying out loud and talking to myself and saying, you mean if, not when, right? Right. Um, but on the other hand, I guess in a weird way, I understand what JetBlue is, is saying because historically over the last 20 or 30 years, the Department of Justice has basically had a huge rubber stamp and approved merger after merger after merger. So the airline industry was in a mode where it was like they said they wanted to do it. They could pretty much guarantee they could do it. This is a different DOJ. James, I can't stress it enough. This Department of Justice is very different than anything I've seen in my entire time in the industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been around a while. Uh, I started working in the airlines in 1985. So we're mm-hmm. talking, you know, 38 years. And you know that in my in my last role as, a, as an advisor to uh, Consumer Reports for more than 20 years, I testified numerous times against mergers mm-hmm. in the House and in the Senate, Continental uh, uh, United, American U.S. Airways, Northwest Delta. We, you know, we, we either filed comments or I testified in person. And we lost every time, right? every single time, okay? And sometimes there were some concessions and it was all window dressing. The DOJ just got out a huge rubber stamp and the DOT was silent. Well, in 2023, I think a lot of people in the industry may not realize this, we have a different a different regime in place right. now. The DOJ is much more aggressive, not just with airlines, as you know, in all kinds of sectors, but this is the first time I've seen the DOJ be so uh, proactive for consumers in trying to block a merger. And it's worth noting 
the DOT has weighed in and, and the DOT has virtually been silent for, yeah. for decades on mergers. Um, the day that the DOJ filed the suit back in the spring, that very same day, Secretary Buttigieg at the DOT went on TV and he said that the DOT was opposed to this merger too. Wow. They're taking a back seat to the DOJ. So the DOJ will see how the trial goes. But both of these departments have come out against it. It's, you know, I know I sound like I'm, I'm you know, uh, getting hyperbolic, but the fact is this is unprecedented to have this level of uh, opposition. So we're, we're in a different era. And I also want to point out when I say these things, it's really not political because, you know, when you start talking about 20, 30, 40 years, you're talking about multiple administrations and both parties. It's not as if, oh, this was Trump or this was Obama. No, it's this is going back to the to the Reagan years. You know? Right, right. Now let's let's look at it from JetBlue's uh, point of view and what they've been saying. What what does JetBlue contend are going to be the benefits of this transaction? I know for a fact that some people who uh, some flyers who are not crazy about Spirit, you know, I would think Spirit actually probably has gotten a lot better over the past few years, but it has a, a somewhat uh, not so great reputation. And so some consumers say, well, if JetBlue takes over, it's going to be the JetBlue service that a lot of people do like, including me. Uh, they, they have pretty good service. Uh, and so we figure that that will transition, although I sometimes wonder how quickly and easily they're going to be able to digest uh, all of the Spirit fleet and, and make it turn it into all of JetBlue. But what, what what are the what are the benefits that JetBlue says uh, are of, of its merger with uh, Spirit? Yeah, I think the fact is, and I've analyzed this pretty closely, and I have for for over a year now. Um, JetBlue's promises are false. I'm being as blunt as I can be. Um, JetBlue is saying that they want to grow larger so that they can provide an alternative to the big guys, to the mm -hmm. to the to the big four. Well, the fact is, that is not what they are going to be doing if they swallow up Spirit, okay? JetBlue's cost structure is so much higher than it was. We both remember when they launched in 2000 right. at JFK. And, um, you know, they were a breath of fresh air to an extent, and they did have a, a, a lower cost uh, model and a lower fare model in many cases. And, um, you know, they were they were offering an alternative. The fact is now, you know, that cost structure has bloated over the years, as happens right. with airlines, with labor, with, you know, look at look at where the places where JetBlue flies. This is not the route map of an ultra low cost carrier. You right. know, that just saw a press release over the weekend. They're adding more cities in Europe. They're in Amsterdam. Absolutely. You know, we, we've been you know, following London, them. They, you know. they have, have moved to Europe and are multi offering multiple cities now. And they're all over the U.S. And, and uh, right. so it's right. a very this is, different this kind is of not. Building. This is not a low fare alternative. And and right. the way that I position it is, rather than trying to fight the big four, what JetBlue is trying to do is expand the oligopoly and become the big five. Big five. Yeah, well, they, keep, talk, the, they keep talking about uh, that. In that's, fact, that's where we're going. And I think, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say, you know, let's go back to that that trial last year, the Northeast right. Alliance. It, to me, it's it's saying two very different things at once to say, well, we want to merge with Spirit and be this spunky, you know, low cost alternative. Okay, on paper that sounds good, but in reality, what were they also doing? They were they had there wasn't a merger, but they had a de facto merger through this marketing alliance with American. Right. Now, which is it? I mean, if I was one of the attorneys for the DOJ and I was you know cross examining a, a JetBlue executive this week, I would say 
just who is it that you want to be? Because you're yeah. saying two very different things. Are you a big guy or are you a spunky, you know, alternative to the big guys? Well, I think they have made it clear. The alliance with American meant they were working with American, not against yeah. it. They're not here to prevent an alternative. They'll swallow up the largest ultra low cost carrier in the country with spirit. That's what spirit is. And spirit will disappear overnight, virtually, you know, as these things go with with mergers in terms of their fair structure. And let's not remember, you know, in recently there was the process of um, filing papers for this hearing. And right. in so doing, uh, it came to light in media reports that inadvertently someone on the JetBlue team um, revealed an internal memo that stated the exact opposite of what JetBlue has been saying publicly, that they're trying to keep the fares low. Mm -hmm. In fact, an internal memo that was made public from an Air, uh, JetBlue, from the JetBlue side, said that fares are going to go up on spirit routes by about 40%. That's even wow. higher than the estimates yeah, I was right. Okay, maybe not all routes, but some routes, they were estimating up to 40%, to be clear. Well, <laughs> okay, so they are making the case for the DOJ and for folks like me who have been saying this all along. You are not going to swallow up spirit and then have spirit's cost structure and fare structure. You're just not. No. Uh, you know, now I'm happy to talk about spirit too. I don't know if you want to go there. And I'm sure. Well, spirit, spirit has been, um, you know, one of the things is spirit really hasn't been saying much publicly about this, uh, where JetBlue was, you know, sort of taking the lead because, of course, spirit was all set to merge with Frontier. Right, exactly, and and that's where this all this whole story starts there. And I don't think we can talk about spirit and JetBlue without first talking about spirit and Frontier. Right? I mean. Here's here's how it all plays out. Last year, more than more than 18 months ago, Spirit and Frontier announced a merger, right? Mm -hmm. Two genuine ultra low cost carriers. You know, we have a lot of terminology in this industry, ultra low cost, low cost, you know, legacy airlines. There are a lot of different models, but there's no question that Spirit and Frontier are in a different class in terms of fares mm -hmm. than JetBlue is. That's not up for debate. That's just, you know, that's just that's accepted. Nobody has called um, JetBlue an ultra low cost carrier. They're not. Right. They offer service, you know, with with um, more amenities and you know cabin amenities and you know international service like we were talking about. Frontier and Spirit offer dirt low fares, you know, and and offer a much different product. And I'm happy to talk about that product. But, well, that product is more, you know, pay as you go, and and there, you, right. you had to do pay almost. One of the challenges I think for both carriers, uh, from my experience, was that you know I didn't really want to. I want I, I'm a, a one price kind of guy, and you, you can't get that in airlines anymore. But um, uh, you know, I wanted to have. I, I knew with with Spirit and with Frontier, I'd be paying for the seat, I'd be paying for my baggage, I'd be paying to get on the right. plane almost. Uh, you know, it wasn't what I paid initially might not be the end all fare. So no, exactly. You're exactly right. And, you know, I'm happy to expand on that with the spirit thing. But, I, you know, again, just to just to be clear here, Spirit and Frontier announced a merger last year and JetBlue woke up, saw this and panicked. I mean, that's really what we're talking about here. JetBlue, which was already, you know, in this alliance with American and had its own plans for where it was going, suddenly saw that if Spirit and Frontier merged, they would they would zoom all the way up to being the fifth largest carrier in America. Right. And then Alaska and then and then JetBlue and JetBlue would be falling further 
in the size rankings and size matters to these guys. And, you know, market share matters. You and I over the years have heard dozens, if not hundreds of airline executives say, well, we're not focused on market share. We're focused on profitability. Sorry, that's bull. They always care about market share. And so, uh, you know, basically JetBlue broke up the frontier marriage. They did very much. You know, and just let's remember, I mean, there's plenty of media reports. You don't have to take my word for it. You can go back and Google it. There were all these statements from Spirit and Frontier putting down JetBlue saying, oh, no, 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 we don't want to merge with them. No, that's not a good deal. JetBlue just kept sweetening the pot to the point where it was like, well, they couldn't say no. So Frontier dropped out, JetBlue stepped in. Uh, But look, let's talk about the ultra low cost model. Spirit is a very problematic airline. You know that for years, wearing my consumer advocate hat, that I have been critical of spirit, so have many others. I'm not alone by any means. It's documented. You know, everything that I'm saying here, James, for the most part, this is an opinion. You can document it. You pull up the Department of Transportation monthly rankings and you see the, you know, all of the U.S. carriers that are ranked from two months previously for their on-time performance, cancel flights, consumer complaints, sandal baggage. Spirit is usually at the bottom or right near the bottom. And it has been for years. We all know they have the worst seats in the industry, 28 mm. inch seat pitch. The leg room is just, it's not only uncomfortable, it's unhealthy and it's unsafe during an emergency evacuation. Right. I and many others have been criticizing spirit, but we, you know, I'm saying two things at once. And I don't think that that is problematic. I think it's fair to say two things at once. A, Spirit is a problematic airline. We'd like to see them improve. We'd like to see the seats be better. We'd like to see, as you pointed out rightly, more transparency with all these fees. We'd like to see a lot of things. We'd like to see them improve their service. Right. But B, we don't want to see them go away because they do bring in the low fares to the markets. And, you know, you and I worked together back in the 1990s, and I was thinking about it the other day. When we worked at a trade magazine, Travel Agent, and I was writing about the airlines, I did a story. Here's I'm going to bring a name up from the past. Kiwi International Airlines. Remember that? I them? remember them, yes. Yeah. They were based at Newark Airport. And I think you were the editor that assigned this story to me, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. This is uh, circa 1993 or so. Right. And I was looking at Kiwi's uh, operation. They flew out of Newark. And Newark, as we know, is part of the greater New York area, even though the long gone Mayor LaGuardia was upset about that, um, you know, in airport parlance, it's part of New York, Newark is. And they flew from Newark to Midway Airport in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Well, American and United both have hubs in uh, in O'Hare. So they were flying basically hourly mm-hmm. between uh, like LaGuardia and, and uh, O'Hare. Different airports, same markets. And I went in and looked at the prices, and I was shocked. This was 30 years ago. Kiwi, I think, had four flights a day. And let's say it was 10 a.m. and noon and 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. On those hours, American United fares dropped by hundreds of dollars. And then an hour later, they were back up hundreds of dollars. Right. That explains what's still in effect now, 30 years later. The ultra-low-cost carriers come in. They force the big guys to lower their fares. And when they're not there, their fares go back up. It's as simple as that. It's not more complicated than that. And how do we know it's still happening? The Department of Justice, excuse me, the Department of Transportation 
uh, every quarter puts out an, an airfare report. Right. And again, it's, you know, it's data that's a couple months old, but it's very reliable. And it shows you that the lowest fares in the country are in markets where there's Spirit, Frontier, Allegiant, Avello, Breeze, carriers like that. Right. Sometimes Southwest, sometimes JetBlue, not as much as it used to be. And the highest fares in the country are routes that are dominated American, Delta, United, period. Right. And that's it. So that phenomenon from 30 years ago is still happening. So why are we at American Economic Liberties Project opposed to this merger? One of the big reasons is fares, because right. Spirit is going to disappear. I've already said on the record, I'm not trying to pretend Spirit is a better carrier than it is. We want to see Spirit be a better carrier. Right. But there's no question Spirit brings low fares to markets. And this is the point that I think a lot of people miss. I was talking to a friend of mine recently. And, uh, you know, he was asking me what I was doing. I was saying I was going to Boston. He said, oh, Spirit. He said, I would never fly Spirit. A lot of people have that sentiment, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, they're terrible. I wouldn't fly them. I said, okay, that's your right. And he said, um, you know, I don't really care. I said, I don't care if they go bankrupt. I don't care if they merge. What do I care? I'm never going to fly them. And I said, let me ask you something. You live in the New York area, but you have a home in Florida, right? He said, yeah. Right. I said, how often do you go there? He said, about four or five times a year. I said, you better care about Spirit then. Yeah, I said, okay. absolutely. Because Spirit flies and, and other ultra low cost carriers, you look at a map of Florida and it is inundated with the ultra low cost service. I mean, they're all flying there. I, you know, when I lived in Connecticut, I flew both the Velo and Breeze to Florida, you know? Right, right. And so you have this situation where people like my friend, they benefit from Spirit's presence without ever getting on board a Spirit airplane. And when I explained it to him, he said, oh, okay, I get it now, you know? And I said, you don't want to see Spirit merge and disappear because you'll be paying more to go to Fort Lauderdale on Delta or United or American. It's that simple. And so um, I think people have to understand the ultra low cost carriers it's not about market share. Spirit is trying to make it about market share. And I think, I, I won't say it's a false argument, it's relevant, but it's not the most relevant point to yeah. say, well, we don't have the market share of American. You know, okay, well, that's true. You, you don't, you're not that big. But on the routes where Spirit flies, they have a huge impact. And I, I went in and did a deep dive recently. I spent a lot of hours looking at Spirit's route map and I saw dozens of routes where, in, in big cities, by the way, right. uh, like Chicago O'Hare and and uh, and in Detroit, where Spirit has a huge presence, 19 uh, nonstops out of Detroit. I looked at the competitors, and in many cases, it's Spirit and United, or Spirit and American, or Spirit yeah. and United and American. Well, let's take a wild guess. If Spirit goes away, then that's what will happen if it's a, you know merged with, with um, JetBlue. What do you think American United going to do to fares on those well, routes? They're going to rise them up. They're going to be rising, absolutely. And that's what we've seen with every merger ever. Yeah, and yeah. and there's no way that JetBlue is going to maintain Spirit complete route map. But no airline ever does after a merger. They'll be they'll be reducing service, you know, canceling certain routes, reducing number of you know flight frequencies, and fares are going to go up. So you know those are the reasons we're opposed to this. This is not good. There's been too much consolidation, and we've got to stop the bleeding in this industry. Yeah, and so so in your obviously higher fares is one of the damages that would occur in this case, but also service to certain communities, I would assume as well, right? Yes, absolutely, and and I've been doing a lot of research uh, aside from the this merger um, in the last couple of months. American Economic Liberties Project has me working on a lot of research. We're getting ready to to reveal some of that soon, and I would certainly hope I get an invitation from you to come and talk about it a little bit absolutely. more. 
time comes. But um, we've been working on uh, an issue that we call regional inequality. We didn't coin the term. Others call it that, too. But we've been speaking to members of Congress, and we are really getting their attention because I think when you talk about the airline industry and you talk about regional inequality, there's a sort of uh, misconception that you're speaking uh, basically of small and rural communities only. That's a big part of it. Don't get me wrong. Okay, there are there are places in this country, entire states. We've gone through and looked at it state by state, and there are states in this country: Montana, Idaho, North Dakota, South Dakota. They don't have low low ultra low cost carriers. They don't have low cost carriers. They don't have hubs, and you know they have a much lesser product. They have they have trouble getting service. You know, it sends deregulation. They don't have the routes that they used to have. They have to basically go to hubs and then on from there. And they're paying through the nose. Right. And, you know, they're mostly served by regional partners of the airlines, right? American Eagle and, you know, Delta and United, their connection partners. And so that's, that's a part of it, no question. But we've gone in and, and done a little bit of a deeper dive and we've done a lot of research on cities that are nobody would call small and nobody would call rural. We're talking St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Cleveland. What do they all have in common? They have all lost major airline hubs due to mergers. Right, right. And, you know, I sat there and I testified time after time, as I mentioned, and many others did too. And we sat there and we said, you know, after these mergers, they're going to be closing hubs. They're going to be reducing flight frequencies. Not because we were so brilliant or we had a crystal ball. It was it was clear. I mean, that's why you merge. You know, American wasn't going to acquire TWA's hub in St. Louis and operate hubs in Chicago, St. Louis and Dallas. Look at a map of the United States. Draw a ruler between Chicago, Dallas, and St. Louis, and you see they're a couple hundred miles apart in a straight line virtually. No way are they going to run all three of those hubs. So they shut the hub in St. Louis. Well, I get it from if I was an airline executive, I get it. Okay, I get it. I mean, like, I understand they're running a business and they want to run it as profitably as they can do. But when you go back to the pre-regulated era, which was supposed to be so awful, and the more I research it, I realized not at all. It made a lot of sense. A city like St. Louis would not have the dearth of service that it has now, would not have, you know, so few nonstops. The effects that this has on these big communities. So we're speaking to members of Congress from locations that, you know, have uh, have these these former hubs. And when you lose a hub, uh, we don't even know the full economic impact. I can't give you a dollar amount, but I do know that. You know, cities like St. Louis and Cleveland, they have lost entire corporations, have picked up and moved because they're like, well, they do, they have we don't have daily nonstops. We're not going to have our sales staff, you know, connecting in Dallas and Chicago all, all day, you know. And so they move somewhere else. And so we're saying we need to look at the harms of deregulation and the harms of all this consolidation. And now it's a different model here. I mean, I can hear the the you know folks saying, okay, fine, but that's the big guys. That's not Spirit and JetBlue. Right. But it is a different model, but yet in some ways it's not. I understand it's not a hub and spoke in the traditional sense, but they have what they call focus cities. All the small guys have focus cities. Southwest invented the term. They have focus mm-hmm. cities as well. Technically, you know, you and I can get wonky and talk about, you know, buying a ticket from A to C and connecting in B and yeah. the contract of carriage. It's not technically a hub and spoke operation, but many people fly Southwest on two back to back tickets. You have different rights as a consumer on two back-to-back tickets, but still, you know, people will take Southwest from Baltimore to Dallas and then Dallas to San Diego. And okay, but it's not a hub and spoke. Well, these focus cities, 
you know, Spirit has uh, seven or eight of them. So does JetBlue. So does Frontier. They all have focus cities. Sure. Southwest okay. has many. And focus city is another way of saying that just that, that they are focused on that city and they have a ton of flights out of there. Well, if I was, you know, reliant on Spirit for service and for nonstops and for low fares, I'd be really worried if I lived in Detroit right now. Uh, as I said, they have 19 nonstop routes out of Detroit. They have a bunch yeah. of nonstop routes. I think it's uh, 11. Uh, don't hold me on that one, but it's it's quite a few out of Chicago O'Hare. And so, you know, these are big markets. We're not talking about, you know, little spoke cities. And when they leave, fares are going to go up and yeah. the number of flight frequencies is going to go down. No, absolutely. Now, uh, is there any way that you, your group, or even for consumers, if JetBlue gave up more of the assets of Spirit that it is going to be acquiring, in fact, it's already says it's giving up or selling certain assets, I believe in LaGuardia, I think in Boston as well. Uh, uh, is there a way to make this merger happen that you don't think that would, would it would be okay that uh, but it doesn't it doesn't sound like it from what you're saying to me but but is there a way to reduce the amount of what they're buying uh, so that it's more palatable? I'm sorry for shaking my head while you're still talking, but like, <laughs> okay. Can the I answer is no and no and no, right? <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm not getting cagey with you. I'm giving you a straight answer. No, and I'll tell you why, and 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 I'll explain it. And I think we're being very fair here. Um, when I first got to American Economic Liberties Project last year, about 18 months ago, in the spring of uh, 2022, the very first thing I did for them, they reached out to me and they said, "Would I write, help them write comments?" to file with the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission on mergers in all industries. Well, I was doing the airlines, of course. Other, my colleagues were doing the other sectors. And I wrote comments for them, and I explained that what we need in this country right now is a moratorium on airline mergers. That's why I used the term before, stop the bleeding. This is, this is an industry that is broken and needs to be fixed, and the solution is not to allow more consolidation. Right. And so what we said, and I'm very happy about this, we do have some good news here. What we said in early 22 is, 2022 was, we need to have an accounting of all the harmful effects of all the mergers that have been approved. Because as I said, I sat there in Congress, I sat right next to executives from United and Continental and American right, right. Service, and they, you know, they were saying, well, we hope this is gonna be great and it's gonna be good for labor and good for consumers and good for cities and all of this. Well, we know it hasn't been in many cases. Some places benefit, of course. I'm not trying to trying to uh, not be fully, you know, transparent about this. Some places will benefit. Many places will not. And so, you know, if you live in one of those cities that has lost a hub due to a merger, you have not benefited. You don't even have to fly. You might have lost your job because of it. You right. Know? Right. And so, um, what we said was, we have not even had an accounting of the harmful effects that we've already seen. Yeah. No one in the government, not the Government Accountability Office, not the Department of Transportation Inspector General, not the Department of Justice, no major investigation has been done to say, okay, what were the promises with all these mergers? And then what was the reality? How did it hurt labor? I mean, labor, look, uh, you know, we have seen not tens of thousands, but hundreds of thousands of layoffs in the airline industry over the last 20 years. Yeah. It's been, you know, it's been decimated. And so much outsourcing, you know, we've talked about that, of course, right, outsourcing right. of aircraft maintenance overseas to El Salvador, to China. 
it's it's you know however you want to look at it whether it's the effects on cities and communities or whether it's entire regions or on consumers or on you know on labor so we said last year look first we need to to categorize you know the the, the harms here let's catalog them and um, I'm very happy to say that, you know, as we know, the FAA Reauthorization Act has been dragging on in Congress, yeah. but there is pending. Um, we did get um, some of the language that we recommended. It's in there and we hope it will make it all the way through the Senate Right. to have the Government Accountability Office, have the GAO that works for Congress, have them do a major study to say, OK, well, this is what American and U.S. Airways said was going to happen. And this is what happened. And, you know, so in the meantime, we're saying, no, enough of those days of saying, well, we'll give you some concessions, we'll give you some slots and we'll put another rubber stamp. We're saying, no, stop the bleeding. There should be a moratorium on all mergers. Right. And this is a bad merger. And and I know I, I keep hearing it every time I I speak to. Um, a reporter, I'll see a comment underneath the article where I'm quoted as saying, you know, that we're in opposition to this merger. Well, this isn't like the big guys. In some ways, it's worse because the big guys, they were all offering high fares. So United and Continental didn't take any low fares out of the market. Neither did American and U.S. Airways. Right. These guys will. Yeah, so absolutely. Now, let's go back to the earlier comment uh, you, you mentioned and we knew what happened last year when the Department of Justice su sued in the same federal court, not the same judges, you said, to prevent right. what they called the so-called Northeast Alliance between right. American and JetBlue, which was ironic because uh, JetBlue at one point was promoting the fact of this alliance. And at the same time, when they started uh, their their deal to try to get uh, uh, spirit, they were saying the, the almost like the evil big four. And yet yeah. you're saying, wait a minute, you're right. part of the big four because you've got your Northeast Alliance. Right. So that was interesting. Uh, we always thought that was an interesting thing. And I, quite frankly, thought the Northeast Alliance was not all that it was cracked up to be. I often had problems not knowing which terminal I was going to. Uh, right. If I was American or JetBlue, uh, I didn't know what it were. And the, and the synergies of that that alliance never were, bore fruit. And yet it was struck down uh, when the Justice Department sued. And while JetBlue didn't said it wasn't going to proceed, and an American for a while said, "Oh, we'll, we'll try to keep, we'll object to that. We may appeal." That sort of gone away. What are the chances because of that? Because of the same court, uh, we're going to see a similar result here, where the uh, JetBlue will not be able to make its its acquisition of Spirit. Well, we hope the chances are very high, and um, you know, and that's 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 what we hope to see come out of this, but. Um, you raise a great point because uh, I'm not an attorney, but if I was and if I was working for the Department of Justice, I think I would, you know, and I'm sure they have. This is a very smart Department of Justice these days. I'm sure they are combing through all of the statements that were made this time last year in the very same courthouse. OK, right. Where JetBlue was making the case for the American alliance. Right. They are saying two different things here. You know, we look at corporations as corporations. If we looked at corporations as people. JetBlue right now, I think, would need an intervention. I think it was, <laughs> JetBlue was a person and was your friend. He'd say, "Listen, let's go out and you know, let's go, let's go have some coffee and talk. You know, what's going on with you? You're in love with American, but you're also in love with Spirit. They, you know, they have nothing in common. <laughs> what is it? Where are you going? What you know? Are you having an identity crisis? I mean, I'm kidding around to an extent, but I'm not. It's like you know, know, how on the one hand can a corporation say we want to align with American Airlines, we want to offer you know a superior product, and we want to have you know all the things that come with being a full service airline, first class service, and 
lounges and international connections and all that stuff. And we also want to be with the airline that will charge you for a carry on bag or will charge you, you know, for a seat assignment and we'll give you a 28 inch seat pitch, you know, so your knees are in your chest. Like, well, which is it, you know, what, 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 what do you want to be? So when I, when I hear this, that, you know, that JetBlue is trying to fight the, you know, the oligopoly, it's like, by merging with them practically <laughs> to a, to a, no it's like a, they want to be they want to be part of the club too right <laughs> exactly and so to me you know it is not jet blue versus the big four this is about jet blue expanding the big four into the big five absolutely okay? no which will no doubt be much worse for americans and now instead of saying well the big four have 80 percent of the market we'll be saying the big five have 87 percent of the market and that's not going to be good now um Let's say things work out the way that uh, uh, your group wants it to see. It wants to see that the merger is prevented, and so you have JetBlue back uh, separate and Spirit separate. What happens to both those carriers as we go forward? It's an excellent question, and I, you know, I wonder: Do they have Plan Bs? Do they, you know, has JetBlue gotten to the point where all their eggs are in this basket, and it's all about the merger or bust? Because that would not be good. You know, they should be worried. You know, here I am giving advice to airline executives like to listen to me. But I mean, you know, uh, in my view, JetBlue should be worried about, you know, putting out the best product they can and expanding. But to just, you know, mergers are the easy way out. And unfortunately, the government allowed it for decades. Right. right. It was like, well, we've got to get bigger. So we'll just do, you know, and mergers are messy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're easy, but Mm -hmm. they're easier than, you know, than, than growing from within in some ways, you know? And, you know, when I testified against all those mergers, as I pointed out in Congress, it was, (laughs) you know, a little bit of my personal history and you know, I'm the youngest in a large family, right? I'm the youngest of 11. And I mastered this argument by the time I was a teenager of saying, well, you let them do it. So you have to let me do it. Right? <laughs> I want to stay out over the weekend or I want to go out late or I want to spend an overnight or something. And I would point to my older siblings, you know, and my parents who were like old and tired were like, yeah, whatever, you know. Um, well, that argument can work for teenagers. OK, yeah, right. But it shouldn't work for companies. And I sat there in Congress and like, you know, I just was shocked that each of the successive mergers, they would point to the last one. And they, they literally say that like a teenager that, you know, the United Continental, well, you let Delta and Northwest do it, so you got to let us. And then American and U.S. Airways came along and said, well, you let them, so you got to let us. That's right. That's, That's hardly right. reason for the Department of Justice to, you know, act on behalf of the American people as they did in those days. Like I said, this is a different DOJ. And, um, you know, I think they're doing the right thing. Yeah, but, sounds, uh, sounds you good. know, yeah. spirit... And JetBlue need to improve their service internally, and and that's how you grow. The yeah. we we as I said, we need to have a moratorium on consolidation. Consolidation is harmful, and no one is going to be able to convince us that merging is going to be good for consumers. It's not. Yeah, well, they seem to be JetBlue on its own is growing internationally, which is a good right. thing. Uh, Spirit seems to be adding roots. Uh, for last time I saw uh, their results that they just came out, they're not doing too bad. Uh, spirit, right? And, and spirit and, has, and, has and grown in market share in recent years, right? You know? right. I mean, so, they're still, of course, much smaller than the big guys, but they they have steadily grown so that they are now the the largest ultra low cost carrier, and that's a big part of you know our opposition here is saying you take spirit out of the market, and let's be blunt, that's what happens when you merge. Spirit is gone, you know, and with it the spirit fares. Okay, 
Um, hopefully the 28 inch seat pitch too. We want to see that go away, but not through a merger, but you know, spirit will be gone and then the fares are going to go up. Yeah. Well, they said, and actually recently I see a lot of news coming out of frontier. They seem to have survived. There would be a merger uh, that didn't go through with spirit and they seem to be doing just fine. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, there are, there are troubling signs for some of the, the smaller carriers at times because, you know, it's it's tougher to be a smaller carrier, right. particularly like during COVID. And, you know, with when you have these crises, um, they don't have the, you know, the sort of uh, cash flow and resources that the larger guys have. But um, one of the things we're trying to come up with at Economic Liberties are some ideas on resiliency for the industry so that we're not always going crisis to crisis and then going to Congress and asking the taxpayers to bail them out. Right. And so these are big picture problems that we're trying to tackle. But the 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 suggestion that mergers are the answer, they're not. Right. No, it does. It seems to be absolutely the case. Now, um, we obviously go out to about one hundred and twenty seven thousand travel advisors, the folks that you used to cover and write about. Uh, uh, is there anything else you want to tell them about how this affects them? And obviously you've talked about how it affects their clients, but how does it affect uh, travel advisors? Well, I think they know much better than I do how consolidation harms that sector of the industry too. Whether you're talking on the corporate travel side, you know, and as you know, I used to write for trade magazines on that side. And also, you know, of course, on the, uh, on the retail side, but, right. you know, leisure side with travel agents. Um, the the less competition they have, the harder it is for them, right? I mean, I you know, a big part of my role when I was at Business Travel News in the 1990s was talking to travel managers about, well, how are you playing off, you know, Continental versus U.S. Airways? Or how are you playing off Northwest versus America West? I'm using names that don't exist anymore, right? Why? Right, because right. of mergers, right? And that was a big part part of it, right? That you had some leverage. I mean, you, you're negotiating, you know, you have leverage. If, if, if airline A is not doing right by you or by your, 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 your employees or by your clients, then you start talking to airline B. Well, <laughs> what does consolidation do? It, it removes options from the table. Right. And so, uh, you know, I haven't, um, you know, worked as a journalist on that side of the business in, in many years. But if I were now, I think those are the questions I'd be asking them is, well, how do you sure. deal with this when suddenly you go from, you know, 15 major carriers to, to 12 to 10 to eight? And now we have basically four. And in Southwest is sort of a hybrid. And, you know, but in terms of the big, you know, the big six, they're the big three now, and, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Consolidation. Now, just on a timing question, the, the trial starts, we hope, today, as this appears today. Uh, how long is it expected to go for? Is there any estimate? Well, it, it's uh, it's been slotted for four weeks minimum. But okay. I'll, I'll point out that last year um, I did not come to Boston. I watched it. It was live streamed, right. the Northeast Alliance trial. And that went two months. It was expected a month and it went two months. It started in early October and wrapped up around Thanksgiving. Um, and I want to point out there's another growing problem, and that has to do with um, public access to these trials. You know, these corporations are asking for stuff to be off the record and for it not to be covered. And uh, American Economic Liberties Project, we are a thousand percent opposed to this. And so I will point out last year, one of the reasons I didn't come to Boston for that trial was I and many others were live streaming and I had it on virtually every day. I'm not saying I was watching it eight hours a day, but I would, you know, see who was testifying and I was in and out all the time and I had easy 
the access. And I would look at the names of others who were on there, and I saw major reporters for major, you know, coverage of the airline industry. They were on there as well all the time. Well, the 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 reason I'm here in Boston, among other things, is um, this will not be live streamed. Really. And mm-hmm. This one uh, that the, the 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 court said that that was a COVID era uh, policy, and so it will not be live streamed. So it's going to be tougher to have coverage. And there are some things going on that my colleagues at American Economic Liberties Project are dealing with in other trials, where there are motions to have stuff sealed, important, critical aspects of trials. So we have another fight going on here, which is. Look, this is all in the public interest. These are public corporations. They're mm-hmm. affecting consumers, and we need to know what's going on. And JetBlue has taken some steps to try and have some stuff, uh, you know, uh, concealed. And we're all for complete trans and transparency on all of this. So, I'll be talking about that too. Um, okay. I'm on uh, Twitter slash X. Some people refer That's to right. it as one, some as the others. We all know what I'm talking about. Uh, as William J. McGee, you can find me pretty easily. And uh, I'm going to be live tweeting today, Tuesday, Wednesday, all day long, both days, um, and responding to you know to what's going on in real time. And um, but I'll continue to do it. But it's going to be more challenging when I'm not in Boston. I may you know yeah. when come back uh, it'll be it'll be harder for you to do since you can't really yeah. get access to it. No. Um, now, where can our viewers go out to find out more about this case? Uh, obviously, go to your 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 Xer. What do you call it now? A Twitter or an X? Right. Uh, I'm told a, that a, you still call it tweeting, or... even though it's called X. You're not calling it Xing, but yeah, Xing. Go to your feed there, and obviously, right. you can go obviously to the uh, uh, URL for uh, American Liberties, uh, right? Right, and you'll see you'll see that we're putting statements out about that as well. And um, we have put out several uh, documents that uh, express what our talking points are on why this is harmful in much greater detail than I've provided you tonight. You know, I mean, specific numbers for cities and things like that. Okay, what's the what's the URL again for that American? Uh, That is Economic Liberties, American Economic. If you if you search for American Economic Liberties Project, you'll find it. Okay, great. Well, Bill, great to talk with you again. Um, very big case up there to uh, is going to have a great effect on our airline service uh, if it goes forward either way. Um, and uh, really, I mean, I'd, I'd like a lot of the carriers involved. I mean, I, I fly JetBlue a lot. I fly the bigger carriers. Um, but, uh, you know, we've also started covering all the new wave with Avello and, uh, you know, Breeze. In fact, I just uh, earlier this uh, earlier this month, we interviewed Dave Nealman. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was an interesting interview. So what he's trying to do as well. Full but, circle, the guy that, that founded uh, JetBlue. JetBlue, absolutely. No, it's, it's amazing. Full circle this- now. Well, you know, you know the story. Anybody who wants the old airline guys never go away. They just start new airlines, right? right. Uh, or they try. I'll put it right. that way. And then, well, and then, you know, we mentioned Kiwi before. Kiwi got its name from the New Zealand bird because it's the only bird that cannot fly. Yeah. And um, Kiwi was founded by people that had been laid off from Eastern American and T- excuse me, <laughs> Pan Am and TWA, and so they were they were grounded birds. From Pan Am and TWA, and they founded Kiwi. So, well, you, you, uh, you, your old stories we're looking at here. So oh no, absolutely. And I remember back when you and I were at a Travel Agent Magazine together, and we were, and uh, Pan Am and TWA disappeared overnight. And our publisher, there's no way Pan Am and TWA are going to go away. And we're like, right. it's going to happen. What are you talking about? Well, look, my, I mean, my first job post airlines was working 
with you at Travel Agent Magazine, and I had just come from Pan Am. So, right. uh, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, my airline career, seven-year airline career, it ended through a merger because Pan Am Shuttle was acquired by Delta. Right. And it became the Delta Shuttle. And I was married at the time, and I was told, um, you're one of the lucky ones. We're going to offer you a similar position as an operations manager for the shuttle. And I said, great, I'll continue to work at LaGuardia. Wonderful. And they said, no, you'll work out of our office in Atlanta. Ah. And I said, well, when do you need me to be there? And they said, uh, Monday. And this was on a Thursday. <laughs> oh, my God. And I said, I'm married. We have a home. We have, you know, my, my wife is in school, um, you know. Uh, I can't move to Atlanta in 96 hours. And that ended my airline career. So I, I'm intimately familiar with these issues. I mean, there was that tremendous wave of mergers and bankruptcies in the 80s and 90s, you know, um, but we don't seem to learn much from it. And, no. and part that drives me crazy is why aren't we going back and analyzing this? And so that's why we're happy that we want to see this GAO provision get into the FAA Reauthorization Act. Look, first thing is, let's measure the harm. So we can say, this is how much it costs the people of Pittsburgh or the people of Cleveland or the people of Cincinnati, St. Louis. So we can measure the harms of all this consolidation. Now we can start talking about how to fix it. Absolutely. Well, Bill, great to speak with you. And we will definitely speak with you maybe at, when we find the results of this trial to see what happens. Then. And then we'll speak to you again when you have all this uh, research and data about the effect of airline mergers in the past. And, uh, you know, we can talk some more in depth about that. But again, always informative and always a, a really great analysis of what's going on with this merger. And I've been waiting. I didn't even know until I got the note that the trial was starting this Tuesday. And uh, yeah, yeah. So that's why we're, you know, we're out there uh, trying to let people know about it and let people know that I'm there and, you know, let the media know if anyone wants to, to, to reach out to me. I'm happy to do that as well while I'm here in Boston or when I get back home. But um, we're just, you know, letting people know that this is not a small merger. People look right. at it like, well, it's not as big as, you know, United and Continental. That That's not accurate, actually. In some ways, it's even more harmful. The mm -hmm. more consolidation we get, the worse it gets. And when you start taking, when you start picking off the smaller players that are offering the lower fares, that affects everybody, you yeah. know. Continental United maybe only affected you if you lived in cities where you were relying on them. Here, you don't even have to, as I said, you don't even have to fly Spirit, but if Spirit goes away, you're going to pay for it. Absolutely. Well, Bill, hopefully we'll see you soon. Good luck. Absolutely. Up there and I'm Boston. happy to get back when we when we have a verdict, and we we really hope that's the verdict that we want. Okay. We'll, we'll be back in touch then, and uh, good luck up there. Hopefully you don't have to spend too much time in Boston, but it sounds like you're going to have to commute a little bit back and forth. Yeah, I have a feeling I'll be coming back again. <laughs> okay. Good to see you, Bill. Thank and, you, James. Uh, thank you. And I'm James Schillinglaw for Insider Travel Report.